Welcome to the We Women podcast. I'm Kelly Turtle. And I'm Yona Monaghan. This is the second episode of a podcast created to accompany a women's participation project that took place in Northern Ireland, facilitated by Women's Platform. The project took place in 2021 and 2022. It involved eight women's groups developing a shared vision for Northern Ireland as a society that works for women. It was funded by the Irish Department for Foreign Affairs and the full project report is available online at womensplatform.org. In this episode, myself and Yona are going to discuss the findings from the project, what stood out for us as facilitators listening to women all over Northern Ireland talking about their priorities and concerns, and what we think these insights mean for some of the pressing equality issues that we all face. As a quick recap on episode one, which you can go back to anytime, this project was originally to mark the 20th anniversary of UN Security Council Resolution 1325, which was in 2020. We had to delay that work a little bit because of COVID restrictions, because this is not work you do online. And it was about giving women across Northern Ireland from different backgrounds as diversely as possible an opportunity to talk about from their perspective, if Northern Ireland worked for women, what would it look like? And it was building on lots of previous work on women and peace building that Women's Platform has done and other organisations in the sector have done, but tends to be policy work, quite high level work. And this was very much about trying to give women a voice coming from the angle that we have gathered the academic evidence. We need to go a bit further. And we discussed the methodology in the last episode But when it comes to how we approach the findings, I should mention that we had a very particular approach to gathering together the material that the women gave us. So we arranged it around two main sections. The first of all was the values. So we asked women to imagine they'd been given full control of Stormont to design a vision for Northern Ireland. What values would they base that on? And the second stage was asking them to indicate the priority actions that they think are needed to make those values a reality. And doing it that way, talking about values and then what actions would actually deliver, those values was a really useful way of getting a clear agenda for action, which is what we produced as almost a summary that that is shared across the groups of what needs to happen. And just to go straight into the findings from eight groups we talked about to probably about a hundred women from all over Northern Ireland, from all different backgrounds. The main overarching finding was that women want to be heard. They feel that women are not being listened to. Young women said they are just being completely ignored. All these themes of discrimination came up and that's what the manifesto, for want of a better description that we developed from it, it really focuses on. How can we get changed? What are the values we need? All of this, the interesting thing was that it was very much shared. The same themes came up in every group. So it's about an equal society, respect for people of all backgrounds, inclusion, diversity. And those are what we're reflecting on. And the themes that came up reflected women's experiences. It was about access to childcare, access to care. Education came up very strongly and community education in particular, which is something that 
has all virtually disappeared for, in general, but in particular for women, because that's where women used to get learning about rights and about international frameworks. The funding for that has completely gone. So that's one of the key things that that's raised, that education in general, community education in particular, because learning comes in many forms. It's not about formal education, although all women and girls should have access to that if they if they so wish. There's an awful lot, the actions that women talked about were about making sure women's voices are heard, making it possible for women to engage, which means, again, having meetings at such a time, of using language that works. The basic building blocks, childcare, equal pay for equal work, all of those things are reflected in that. Healthcare, we engaged with disabled women specifically, and that's reflected very much that there's additional barriers for disabled women and additional barriers for, for other groups as well, and looking at ways of dealing with those barriers, doing this kind of work so that women can be heard. We talk a lot about safety as well, you know, safety from, from violence on one hand, both in home and in public spaces. But it's also that general safety, that it's safe to be the person you are. It's safe to talk about difficult issues. And that's reflective. We've summarized the key themes but there, there's a huge richness in, in that material. And I think that's what we hope to go to in this episode a bit more. Let's hear directly from some of the women who, at the end of the sessions, we offer them the opportunity to record their reflections on what they had talked about and what was important to them. And we've put together a little set of clips then to just give an overview of, of the concerns that the women had who took part. The fact that we all want change and that we're not currently happy with the situation that's here. Everybody accepted and everybody equal and nobody being shunned. Well, I mean, all the values, especially, you know, the equality for everybody, because I believe that it's, it's a big point, point. So it is with the equality. I mean, I think everybody should be treated equally, you know, married, single, Polish, Romanian, Lithuanian, it does not matter. We're all females at the end of the day and we all have the same priorities, you know what I mean? You know, everybody, it's just that they're stood up the most, you know, equality is a big thing for everybody. Women were recently described to me as the shock absorbers of society and I think this is a great opportunity to shape the society so that women have less shock to absorb. We as a woman need to support each other. We need more support uh, from uh, healthcare, from social service probably. Women are still treated differently than men um, in regards to work, um, staying at home with kids, um, still 1950s housewife style stuff. Also, I think there should be more help and support around children with special educational needs because that affects me personally in regards to having my daughter wait six years till she was in P6 for a place in a special needs unit to help her with her education, where literally when they, when we did get it, in the space of two or three weeks, she learned to read, she learned to multiply, divide. I think women need more support within their community, i.e. community counsellor would really help support the women with all their needs. There's lots of little changes we could make to the justice system. The prosecution of rape cases, the prosecution, the, the even following up the 
feeling confident enough to make a sexual assault allegation. It is. This is the whole process is off-putting still, even more so with social media. Um, the message seems to be, look after yourself, and if anything happens to you, nobody wants to know when you're going to suffer more, so that's a massive issue. This evening um, we spoke about accountability and how men are actually held accountable for their actions. Um, I've seen it firsthand how men have abused women and not actually been held accountable, i.e. their friends would say, oh, it's nothing to do with me, and it would just be swept under the rug. We want to see accountability. It's great to hear some of those voices coming through. It's taken me right back to all of the rooms and the great conversations that we had travelling around the place last year. We're going to listen to a few more clips now. We're going to look at some particular themes in more detail. These are ones that came up in every single group and merit a little bit more discussion. So the first theme is health. I'm not exaggerating when I say we probably spent more time talking about health than any other issue, no matter where we went. Um, rural, urban, younger women, older women, disabled women. I mean, it was such a high priority. And I think it really brought home to me the impact on women whenever health services are not working. So some of the groups were talking about women's health specifically, things like reproductive health care, cancer care and diagnosis for women was a really big concern. Menopause was a huge concern for a lot of the groups, but it went way beyond women's health because it was a really clear sense that when health systems are not working for older people, women are the ones who are holding things together. Who are And it's not just health, I guess, it's the care system as well. Women who were very worried about their children's health, difficulties accessing GP services and being really concerned about their kids. And then how that impacts on their day-to-day -day lives. How do you go to work whenever you've got to sit and wait for a phone call from a GP or try and get a last-minute appointment? So it was huge. And I think it really speaks to the gendered nature of a lot of caring rules in our society, that it's women who bear the brunt. And just the worry. That was the biggest thing that came across to me, was how many women are so worried and anxious about the health of somebody in their family um, because... The health service is 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 not able to meet those needs in a timely way. And the two-tier system around those who can pay to jump the queue um, and those who can't. So I think, you know, a society that works for women has to be a society that has a well-funded, well-resourced, well-functioning health service and social care service as well. Next big theme was education. Let's hear from some of the people that we talked to. And it's interesting to note that all of the women you're about to hear from lived in rural areas. I really believe that we need to start this process uh, in childhood with some form of uh, citizenship starting in, in primary schooling so that children and then young people and then adults can see that um, we can do better together and if we learn about one another and we don't fear we need to learn the skills that empower us to not to be afraid to speak out and to and to challenge i think the issues of gender inequality need to be taught to young women if possible in post-primary schools to start to get an understanding to get a head start. An awful lot of women um, come to this much later in life and they look 
back at their choices and their decisions and their their you know the things that they've encountered. They look back at them differently if they had a gendered education. Well, I think that lifelong learning is really important for adults here. I think that that we can learn all sorts of wonderful theory in our early life and in our first stage of education that might sort of finish in your early 20s and that kind of thing. And you could well even study things like feminism and society, have all of this wonderful knowledge and then it doesn't necessarily apply in your life. Um, and very slowly it can also kind of be taken away and you don't even notice how because it happens so slowly and so subtly that actually your rights are gone there's this other stage in life then that people need to refine their learning they need to look back at the theory again they might end up being quite shocked at how their lives have diverged from the theories that they knew about and the choices that they've made and how they and not really understand why they've ended up where they've ended up you know, really interesting there to hear women talk about the need for more education around gender equality, both in schools, but actually in adult life as well, whenever these issues start to mean more. That came through very clearly. There just needs to be that opportunity to learn about just what it means, what, what it is and what you can do about it, which is obviously something we tried to do in this project. But it goes back to those discussions that I mentioned earlier on, that it is about community level education and it's about the opportunities for women to get together and talk about this stuff and again I think it came through that that's something needed everywhere but particularly rurally because coming together has those additional barriers in those areas. Yeah there was a lot of discussion about the fact that the urban women's sector while it still struggles for funding every year going through the same process of having to apply and be uncertain there has been more infrastructure put in place. So women's education courses, women's leadership courses are now part of the normal, you know, annual calendar of, of training that's available. And those women in rural areas were saying, we just don't have access to that. Very much reliant on organisations like the Northern Ireland Rural Women's Network to access funding that they could then draw down to get those services out there on the ground. But definitely a huge disparity. And, and that education around gender equality was really sought after. I think it ties in well with our next theme, which is leadership. What women's vision was around how Northern Ireland would be led if all of these gender equality issues were being taken seriously. Let's listen to a couple of women expressing their ideas around that. Real leadership and bringing together the, the thoughts um, and the needs of everybody in society and having those as our priorities within our country and to be able to see, the vision is to be able to see the resource coming into our country actually go to those needs. And, you know, if we went back to basics, right, right back to Maslow's um, hierarchy of needs and you had your very basic levels of your, your good housing, um, your education, your good, good nutrition, food and, and that is the base level of that philosophy. I never hear politicians talking about that as their priorities for the whole of society. That we need a leadership, um, I think, uh, in that women can be, be the visionaries, that women can actually bring it forward in terms of what we know our society needs to be able to thrive. But it's not been reflected in what we see today. Women in Northern Ireland don't have the voice they should have. One way of securing this voice 
would be to create the position of a commissioner for women. This commission would help advocate and support and push to ensure that women's rights are incorporated in UK domestic law. You know, that's a really interesting idea there at the end around having a commissioner for women. What do you think about that? Is that something that could benefit us? I think it has been proposed before. You know, I think certainly at UK level, linking in with international human standards, CEDO in particular, we need better mechanisms to make sure that this is not just talk because it's clearly not working and it, these are structural issues. It's not the responsibility of any one woman or women as such. But I think if we do look at a commissioner or any other mechanism, they need to be effective and they need to have teeth because we don't need something established that doesn't get through. And that's where, where the discussion is. How do we effectively feed this in? It actually goes even beyond consultation because anybody can put in responses. But there's things like gender budgeting, which effectively looks at, you know, what is the end result of how we spend money? How does it impact different people? So it's those types of things, understanding that this is not just about prioritizing women's needs. This is actually about effective decision making, full stop. Yeah, that was a huge discussion in some of the groups I remember actually quite emotive discussions because of that level of frustration that no matter how much we do bring these voices to the table, the structures are so big and immovable that it always seems like decisions get made on a whole other set of priorities. And I think women are really tired of that and frustrated that the agenda is not reflecting, the political agenda is not reflecting the real needs that women have and, and identify on the ground. What are those drivers? How does policy get made in a certain way? There's still a problem of women not even getting around the table when it comes to some of these decisions. But even when women are there uh, represented, they're often within political parties and political structures that constrain them and make them have to serve a political agenda that is not necessarily reflective of gender equality aims and goals. So that's an, an issue that the women really highlighted and articulated so well but it represents a huge a huge problem that I think will take a lot of structural work to to change. And I think that's where the UN Security Council Resolution 1325 and the whole Women, Peace and Security agenda can come in because the principle of that is that women need to be equally and fully involved at all stages of peace building which can be nearly translated for decision making so that can be used as one of the drivers to achieve change. Thankfully though we do have some big ideas. We just had some conversations that were so big picture that didn't fit into any other specific topic. Women who just took a very broad view of what these problems are, why these structural barriers are so immovable. So let's hear from a couple of groups who really inspired us. I think that we need to Look at how we tell stories, look at how this, at the stories we tell, men have had centre stage for so long and their stories always get told. And when we tell women's stories, they're always looked at in a very different way and they're always given a very different space that is always off and to the side and never ever in that centre spotlight. Often the stories of women are the breathing spaces 
in between the extraordinary that in themselves are extraordinary that hold us all together. So, yeah, tell better stories. We spoke tonight about um, decolonisation and how it affects women's sexuality or spirituality, but as well as that, the language that we speak and that we sometimes rear children in, like the people and place around us, community, the land that we're living on, the land that we're living off, the importance of decolonisation and helping us embrace that and take all that back and using all that for ourselves instead of maybe selling it off, exploiting it and um, being sort of shamed for it all as well. Some really powerful words there, I think, particularly that idea that women's stories are lost in the in the breathing spaces. It's a really lovely articulation of something that I think a lot of women will identify with, the idea that we are always having to fight for space for our lives and our experiences to be recognised. And actually there's this power that could come, this transformative power that could come if we put those stories centre stage. The ideas around decolonising our whole language and, and the stories that we tell about gender. I mean, we went into this project trying to build capacity around intersectionality as a, as a concept, as a theory in feminist work. And um, I think that last piece there just pushes that to a new level, you know, tapping into what capitalism has done to us as women, a history of, of colonisation. And obviously every woman will have a different experience of that and a different ideology around that and a different um, sense of identity. But there's something really deep there that unless we start digging into those histories, those identities, those stories we're maybe always going to come up against the same divisive barriers. So I think the, the women have pushed us as much as we went in to try and, um, and raise capacity and, and um, bring new ideas. We also find ourselves challenged and learning a lot. Definitely with something that we can take forward. Well, to wrap up, I just want to highlight that this is an ongoing conversation. The We Women Project is by no means over. We'll continue to take these stories to decision makers, engage with political leaders. Um, Yona will be engaging with those international officials. And we're going to take this vision that women have articulated to us and do whatever we can to help make it a reality. I want to thank all the contributors to this episode of the podcast and the first one, particularly Yona Monaghan and all of the women who lent their voices to it. We haven't named them. We haven't named the groups because we obviously are being respectful of women's safety and freedom to express themselves without fear of intimidation. And I want to dedicate this podcast to everyone in the women's sector who has been doing the hard work of amplifying women's voices for years. It's a privilege to be part of that and to be carrying the torch. And as we close, I want to thank the Department for Foreign Affairs for supporting the project and remind you that you can read the full report and more about the work of Women's Platform at womensplatform.org. Mm-hmm.